0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program was brought to you by Copper and Kings, pure copper pot distilled American brandy aged in Kentucky bourbon barrels. For more information, visit copperandkings.com.
2: I'm Aaron Fairbanks, host of The Farm Report. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more.
1: So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul.
3: Welcome back to The Speakeasy. I'm your host, Damon Bolte, and it is a beautiful day in Brooklyn, New York, and I've got a full house today. Actually, my good buddy, Souther Teague. Good friend of the show. He's been on several times before. He's going to be co-hosting with me today. I'm really psyched about that. Super well, excited to be welcome here. Welcome back, man. Hey, man. It's great to have you in the studio. And I'm really psyched to have a couple of my other buddies. Uh, one of them I'm still like sweating off a sunburn with from our trip to Martinique about a month ago. Uh, <laughs> and the other one should have been there. Uh, but he's British, so he burns very easily, so he actually canceled <laughs> the trip. Uh, but I have Gareth from Forest Point here in Bushwick, actually just down the road from from uh, Roberta's and Heritage Radio Network. Welcome to the show, Gareth. Thanks for having us. And I have Amon Rocky from Betney in New York, and welcome to the show. This is both of your first times on the show. Uh-huh. Cool. It is. Well, welcome, guys. Really great to have you here. Um, today, we're talking about Milk Punch. Okay, so... Just everyone's talking about milk everyone's Punch. everyone's talking about milk punch we're, we're definitely going to get into it i I'm glad to have you guys on the show today because I just started kind of like dabbling with it at, at my bar and uh, what the fuck is milk punch yes yeah. can, you, can you guys tell us what's going on I mean like I know what it is but you guys definitely like have two different styles of making it but give me the rundown tell me what tell me what milk punch is all about
2: it's a crazy phenomenon. You know, just today at the restaurant, um, a couple people came in for lunch, and they were talking about how they're taking a little food tour and going around cocktail bars, too. And, and they went to this one place, and they didn't know whether I had heard of it or not, called Blue Hill Stone Barns. And, of course, that's like a <laughs> temple, right? <Yeah. laughs> and I was like, yes, I have. I have heard of that, that place. Um, and they, they said that they were served this really weird way drink. And, uh, and that the bartenders would come up, come up with and, and uh, it blew their mind, thought it was amazing and, you know, when, when I told them that we are also making Milk Punch at the restaurant and we're mm-hmm. doing a lot of fun stuff with it it just blew their minds and um, I think it's, it's just the most amazing thing that uh, something that comes from the late 1680s you know, maybe even earlier than that uh, is, is catching the world by storm now and people are, are still as excited about it as they probably were then and, and it's just magical stuff, you know?
4: Well, it's like you know lots of things it's cyclical comes right.
2: comes back around bell bottoms yeah <laughs> fashion of course <laughs> i have always worn bell
3: bottoms guys so, <laughs> they, they never went out with me hey so so what was uh, like where was the like what was the genesis of of you guys like together separately uh separately um starting to work on on milk punches. I mean, was it some, something you read about like from like Dave Wondridge in his book punch or like just something like you found like in your own research or
5: It's an interesting story. I mean, for me, I was introduced to milk punch by um, a very good friend of mine Dustin Nelson who was the original beverage director down at Forest Point. So, I was introduced to milk punch and the technique of making milk punch when I took over the program from him. And then from there, it just kind of evolved and developed from that point in time onwards and uh, we, we just kept running with it.
3: Cool. And you guys kind of like do you guys kind of connect based on the fact that you guys were featuring uh, Milk Punches like separately? Is that that's kind of how it's this came? Tinder, again. Tinder, yeah. Well, I mean, it's a hell of an app. Well, Milk Punch, right t- swipe all the time. <laughs>
2: yeah. uh, no, I, so I was first introduced to Milk Punch by um, a brilliant bartender named Cameron. Uh, who was uh, head head of the bar program at Bar Playade uh, at Cafe Bleu, of all places? Um, I'd read about it a bunch. It's, there's no shortage of recipes for it, but you know it's one of those that uh, either because you know reading English milk punch and um, and then sort of scooting down to, to things that aren't necessarily punches don't require so much intense labor, or because when you do start reading it, it's a little bit unclear, ambiguous as to what the process actually is, you know, the language is so antiquated, um, that I don't think a lot of people, you know, scratched uh, too much on. So uh, I saw it, I knew it, I knew what it was uh, in a really basic way, but then when I had one, when Cameron made me one, and, and uh, I was sort of captivated by it, I was like, I need to get back into this, you know, my background uh, originally was a cook. Um, you know and so I went to school for cooking I cooked for years and, and I was yeah, comfortable yeah I was comfortable with with uh, you know using fire and knives and you know whatever it may be things things that don't necessarily um, play play into classic cocktails per se um, but could and should you know depending on how, how you're trying to run your bar program. So uh, I wasn't afraid of those things and when I saw Kerman make it and I'd read about it, I, I immediately wanted to replicate the process and learn from it.
3: Cool. And it, like, I mean, you know, Souther actually comes from a cooking background too. And, like, yeah. what's cool about having all of you in the studio today is, like, you know, with milk punches, you're not using, you're not necessarily using citrus juice, you know, in the milk punch. It's like a clarified punch and uh, you know of course well, I think board, we should actually DeMargo. back up a little bit
4: and make that clear like no you point. guys are doing clarify literally, literally make, yes, it clear. make it clear <laughs> <laughs> you guys are doing clarified milk punches yeah. right both and, of you and, and in unique correct. ways too not, in, in two different ways that's yeah. why you're both here but not not you know I think when I fr- I lived in New Orleans for 3 years when I hear the word milk punch I think you know brandy and milk yeah. over ice with nutmeg on top for breakfast I actually just
2: got back from New Orleans last night at 10 p.m. and I oh, had a, a milk punch at Galatoire's <laughs> this exact milk punch I'm holding up a picture of the milk punch nice out. yeah and um and and, uh, yeah, it's a totally different beast. They're completely unrelated. You know, they're both wonderful, just totally, totally different. Um, 99% of the milk punches that are made, I, I think I can say with relative certainty in Gareth's bar, my bar, and others uh, do have citrus juices in them. I've tried using other acids, like, you know, malic or whatever in powdered form, and they'll work, but um, they're they're just not as good as Mother Nature, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, right. using, and then, using natural juice. And they
4: and throw in another, like, culinary term. Like, when you make a clarified milk punch, it's basically sort of the like consomme, Of the cocktail world. Sure. Yeah. It's like reverse consomme. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Totally.
2: I don't know. I've learned a ton from Gareth watching him make milk punch. And, you know, uh, I think that the exchange of ideas between us has been really, really cool. And, you know, we're going to be doing a seminar at Tails this year. So I don't know. I I feel like it's it's maybe worth talking about how they're the same and how they're different. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um,.
5: All right. so- just, got, just got
0: tongue-tied. Sorry, guys.
5: <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we actually met when we were doing some filming with Ken Gray mm. um, for his, uh, his web bartending series when there was like a roundtable discussion regarding Milk Punch and that was the first time myself and Eamon met. And during that time, when we were discussing the ways that we actually made Milk Punch, we realized that although we were in effect making the same thing from what in turn turned out to be the same recipe that was printed, what we're looking in 1862 by Jerry Thomas, the way that we made it, and the way that we'd interpret it were two completely different things. And I think as we talk about this, we'll actually find out that, I mean, we make a very rough-and-ready style of milk punch, but the end product is very, very similar, whereas Eamon makes a very, very refined milk punch using a slightly different technique. But again, it produces the same end result. And that's really where we bonded, and that's really where this came about from.
3: You know, it's always interesting talking about, like, these original recipes from these old cocktail books and articles that have been written, you know, 100, 200 300 years in the past you know the, the, it, it leaves a lot to personal interpretation you know because like for instance you know it, it's it's super frustrating uh, reading like a cocktail book from the late 19th century and it doesn't even list like the glassware or the garnish yeah. or you know and like the garnish if you change the garnish it changes the whole name of the drink a lot of times you know like martini versus Gibson but it's it's incredible how there's something cool about that, though,
2: I think. Yeah. You know, like, um, when I was growing up, my dad was a chef, I was a cook, and I was just starting out, and I remember he gave me this this little guide called Hearing's Guide, or Herring's Guide. And um, it's essentially, you know, made for people who already know how to cook. So things in it will be like, make a ballantine from quail, and this and that. <laughs> and, and, like, you, if you look at it and you don't know what those things are, you don't know what the techni- techniques are, you're wasting your time. You know, but if, if you've played around with you know drinks as much as you have and as much as souther has and you know and cooked a little bit as much as i think probably all of us most of us have then you start reading these things and you're like oh i know what they're saying i got this yeah 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 and and the the really sort of daunting recipes start start becoming much more comprehensive and you can start then riffing on techniques like you know as gareth was saying you know, we make our milk punches different ways. We, you know, are using the same chemical and physical stuff, things, you know, and the same um, reactions, uh, but using them just differently. You know, you, how many different ways are there to make a steak? You sure. know what I'm saying? You can use so One. many different Perfectly. <laughs> <laughs>
3: uh, I guess I guess it also goes back to the fact that a lot of these, a lot of these recipes and books were written geared towards... Professional yes. bartenders. Yes. So it. Yeah. I guess you're right. It would make sense that that you would that, that, that the assumption was there that it was actually like you knew you you just kind of knew it. Yeah. You know, like and then the rest of it was just like, but here's the different ingredients. But it's the same kind of thing over here. Just figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> you know. It's totally true. But uh, yeah. So like, so let's talk. Like, let's get process. Yeah. Just let's talk get that the nitty gritty. What's
4: what's the difference, and and then what's the same?
5: Right. It's that's, that's a really good question, actually. I mean, we take a forest with our process. We use whole fruits. We use botanicals. We really like playing with different types of teas, and we steep them heavily. Mm-hmm. Um, we have different ratios. Is, that, is that just the
4: British in you coming out? I think so, yeah. <laughs> steep in the Cup teas. Of tea,
5: steep the tea. But we like really heavy tannic teas when we put it into a milk punch. The one thing that we've learned is the heavier and the more accentuated a flavor is, before we actually turn it or break it, as the terminology that Eamon has since told me since we've been talking, um, it tends to strip a lot of those tannins and those unpleasant flavors out. So the end product is actually this beautiful, delightful silken drink.
3: So almost like the distillation process of like a gin, you know, you overly uh, aromatize it and then it comes out like kind of stripped back, but you kind of have to go, kind of have to really go for it in the original process so it's there when yeah. you have the refined
4: product. Common technique in cooking as well, especially when you're making something cold like a pate. Over-season, because when we eat it and it's cold, it's not going to come through. Sure. That, so
2: and the fat solidifies, yeah.
5: Interesting. And it's a saving grace as well, because anything that you muck up, you know, you've got a 50-50 chance will be recovered sure. by the time you've filtered it out anyway. So it's always a reassuring thing to <laughs> have in your back pocket.
3: Nice. Um, so what are what are the... Cause I, like, when we are making the milk punches, like we're kicking down the milk with like different uh, ingredients and you know some di- whatever spirit we might use, when it- and then we throw it through like a micron bag, like a super bag, you know. Yeah. Uh, are you guys using like a similar process there? Or- you know,
2: when I when I first uh, started making milk punch, I was uh, learning how to cook better, and I was learning how to bartend. You know, pretty. Close to that time as well. So it was sort of this mashup of, of different thought processes for me. And the cool thing about Milk Punch is that it really does combine a lot from both of those worlds. Um, and whenever I learned how to cook, it was gram by gram, you know, very precise sure. measure and everything as clean as possible so that if you screw something up, you know where it went wrong. You know, right. if. So that's why, for me, whenever I make Milk Punch, everything is juiced, everything is measured by the gram, uh, there is nothing that is left to chance, uh, we use we use uh, equipment to determine sweetness level and acidity level, uh, there are all sorts of fail-safes in my process to ensure that every every single time I do it, it works, which is, you know, it still doesn't make you feel any less insecure, you know, sure. whenever you're making, whenever I make Milk Punch and I've made hundreds of them, I still look at it and I'm like, there's no way this is going to work, you know, because it just looks so gross and weird and like... It you, does look weird. It's, it's <laughs> But you're like, there's the no way, way this is going to happen. Yeah, it's true. There's no way this is going to work. And so, and I feel that way every time. I swear. So, so that's why for me, I try to marginalize the risk by by having everything just pristine, and uh, I end up with with pretty good results as the result of that. Um, and I also uh, perform all my clarifications without alcohol in them. Um, which is much harder because alcohol really does help with the protein coagulation, which helps with clarification. So um, I do mine without spirit of any kind, and that allows me to spike things after in wh- whatever way I want to, whatever way my guests want to. Um, and that's something that I'm really excited about at Bethany because I don't think anybody's done that before.
3: I like that you used the, the word spike. Yeah. Instead of like fortify sure. or something fancy, because yeah. <laughs> you're sitting here in the studio, but you're still wearing a suit. <laughs> I can take the suit off. <laughs> talking, basically good. Talking scientific method, yeah. but like so. So your process is very, very precise, very like culinary. And well, I mean, like the the process of making milk punch in general is very yeah. culinary.
2: It's entirely true.
3: Um, but Gareth, you're saying like you kind of like just you know, Mon- It month Sounds longest. like it sounds like we got jazz versus blues going on right <laughs> oh, here. Oh man, I, I love blues. <laughs> I mean, we're a lot more cavalier in our
5: approach. We literally start with the fruit we're using in a Cambro, and we just go hell for leather from there. And the process we use itself inherently is very different. I like a long, hard sit in what we call the oleo stage. So at this point in time, I'm using base fruits, botanicals, and demerara sugar. And I'm trying to let that sit for as long as possible. Ideally, for me, we're looking three to five days. Right. After that point in time, we're then using citrus and our teas. Once that's cooled down, I like a good one to two days sit on that. We're then adding our base liquor, and this is one of the big inherent differences. I'm using actual fruit and botanicals, and I'm clarifying with the liquor in it. I'll then let that try and sit for two or three days, and then we're looking at straining all the solids out before we actually break it. So that's adding milk and more citrus to create whey, and then we have our filtering stage. But again, I like a good two to three days sit on milk before we even start considering the filter. Now these time periods We both for do that. It's really yeah. important. I mean, there's a lot of people that I know who make it, who will break it and then they'll filter almost instantaneously or within a couple of hours. And as a process, it's absolutely fine. It's just something that we choose not to do. And this is one of the fascinating things about milk punch. There is no right or wrong way to make this stuff. You just make it and it turns out the way it turns out. So I mean, in terms of a formula, I have a rough set of ratios I'll work to in terms of how many pieces of base fruit, let's say how many pineapples I'm going to use, how many bits of cinnamon or star anise how much tea I'm gonna put in. But it all works within ranges. It could be anything in between 24 to 50 ounces, depending on what I'm actually making. And then we just trial and error. If it works, brilliant. We then tweak it and we make it again. If it doesn't work, then we go back to the drawing board and we try again. So that's what I mean about us having a lot more of a cavalier approach.
4: What, what percentage do you think you have that are, that are ones that quote, don't work and or are a failure? Like At the
5: beginning,
1: I'd, honestly. <laughs> 75.
4: When I
5: first started making, I'd say it would probably work out about 50-50. Um, But, I mean, we have a set of milk punches that are always featured on the menu, and those are ones we've got nailed down. They've been perfected. We tweak them for seasonality, depending on what the fruit is like or how good the acid is that we're using in terms of lemon or lime juice. And then anything new we do, because we made them so many different times before, they generally have a tendency to work out. But also, having since met Eamon, with the clarification, he gave me the most phenomenal recovery technique for clarification that I've used many times since. So um, it's been quite a partnership since we first met.
2: Yeah, that's true. Both programs have evolved for sure. Um, I think what's important to note too, is that, you know, there are many different ways to incorporate the same basic processes into your own sort of signature way of making them. Um, but there are also quite a few things, and this is something that we're going to cover, I think, extensively in the seminar, quite a few things that you just don't, don't do it. Like, because it's not not gonna work, you know. Um, whenever whenever people try to use coffee filters to to strain or clarify oh, sure. or whatever their their punches, I'm just like, no, stop, stop, stop! Don't do that because you're gonna make this so hard on yourself, and it's gonna take you so long for something that's not gonna be that good. You know, you have to rely on the curds, and I think that's one of the things that all good milk punches have in common. If we're looking to to like sort of unite them, is that the person who's making them understands that it's the milk curds that are actually doing the work, and if you have a really good hard break and you get a really good Like cheesy curdle, then you're gonna have awesome, perfectly clear milk punch every time. And if you don't have that, or if you try to rely on, you know, a super bag as you brought up, we use a we use a ultra bag, a super bag for ours as well. And you know, people are like, oh, so you must have a really really fine super bag. I'm like, no, actually, I prefer them as loose as possible because I'm not looking for a super bag, super bag, or you know, coffee filter or whatever to do the work. I'm looking for the milk to to do the work, the actual curds. And if you rely on those and you get really really good at, at that process that should be a uh, the tie that binds every milk punch that anybody makes you're gonna have great product and it's gonna be really delicious or at least really clear every time and when it's not clear that's cool because even a even an improperly broken milk punch you can run through a good nest a really good you know uh, already broken nest that you've made for perhaps another milk punch or just because you want to do some therapy on one that you don't like that much um so the cool thing about you know these processes is that there's no reason you should ever be dumping booze down the drain it should always come through nice sure
4: i've got a sort of a, sort of back-ended question because you said the word the cheesy curds and i can understand what you're talking about because we talk about like a, making a raft to make a concept. yeah 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 it's all about the raft that's what's yeah. clarifying everything um is there any use for that byproduct is there any use for those curds are you making house-made ricotta or
5: boozy i don't know what, what are you doing that's a great question. There's a couple of things we've done with ours down at Forest. Um, we've tried before. We actually have uh, lemon ricotta donuts down there. So what we did was we took the curd out of the nest. Them here? <laughs> yeah, where are those? <laughs> I'll bring them <laughs> next time we're down. But we just put them into a bag and pint them into the donuts, and they tasted phenomenal. Um, it's really interesting. Depending on the milk punch we're making, the quality of the curd or the taste of the curd alters drastically. So let's say for one of our milk punches, the Panchitos way, we run a lot of habanero through there. That's not a nest you want to be eating. It's so <laughs> viciously hot, it's almost unpalatable. But if you look at Fancy Pants... where it's said prim-
4: almost, which means I can still eat it. Oh, no. I've tri-
5: I've tri- <laughs> We've tried it. But if you're using the Fancy Pants, which is probably a pineapple, cinnamon, and star anise space, that works wonderfully well. In fact, there's a beverage program uh, that does someone and an open-up called Cannibal uh, across oh, the yeah. border in Canada. And um, they actually used to make, uh, I believe it was an ice cream with the, uh, the leftover curd that they had as well, which I understand was truly phenomenal too. And with the discarded fruit, after we strained it out, we've also turned it into purees for brunch mimosas. And uh, that's worked exceptionally well. Really, really good mimosas. Milk like, punch mimosas.
3: I like the sustainability jam of jam, It's even. Really cool. Yeah, cool.
5: Like,
2: it sounds great. Yeah, what you have to remember about the, the curds that are left over is that, Anything that didn't go into your milk punch is in the curds. It's, right. like, it's like if this thing was a body, it's the liver. You know what I mean? Sure. So if, if you use really tannic tea or really spicy chilies, you know tannin and capsicum don't go through a clarification. So even if you use a ton of habaneros, your clarification will taste like the sweetness and fruit of the chili, but it won't taste spicy. And if you use really, really strong tea, like we also use really strong tea, um, none of the tannin will come through, but you'll have all the flavor of the tea. Uh, which is one of the coolest things about the punch. Um, but whatever you don't taste in the milk punch, you'll taste in the curds, right? Uh, and if you have an intention of using them as a byproduct for something else, you should bear that in mind.
3: Have you ever thought of doing some sort of like uh, Ramos Gin Fizz kind of thing? It's just kind of like like it's just up for the frothy like kind of like curdy thing like that. Well, it's like, funny you say that. One of the things that we make at the restaurant too
2: is a sour mix uh, from milk punch. Um, kind of, or inspired by. Um, you know, one of, a lot of the things that I do at the restaurant, um, I'm doing because I say to myself, I don't have a good example of this on an order sheet or in a grocery store or in a liquor store that that uh, that I'd like to buy. So I'm going to make it myself because there's no reason. For instance, let me give you an example on, of something that's on the menu: um, Irish cream. I don't know of an Irish cream that's commercially available that's really, really, really good. Right. So, but I said to myself. There's no reason that cream, whiskey, and sugar shouldn't be really good together, right? And and something that you can be proud of. So I was getting really good cream and awesome whiskey and Demerara sugar and, you know, using a little bit of cooking technique to make them stay together because they're not natural bedfellows. Um, now we have the most delicious Irish cream I've ever had on our menu at Bettany. And... Um, Those liqueurs and things of that nature are really fun to make. And I said the same thing about sour mix. There's no reason that there shouldn't be something that's sweet, sour, and frothy in a cocktail that's also very high quality. Those are all very simple things. And so the fact that you can't find one of those commercially available, at least not that I know of, is kind of a bummer. And And I thought well, let's just use milk punch because whey still has a ton of protein in it and it froths like crazy, like egg white, whenever you shake it in a cocktail. Um, and if you sweeten it and you use enough acidity when you make the clarification, it is all those things. It's sweet, sour, and frothy, and you make it yourself. Uh, it's It can be stable depending on how you make it. Ours is. And if you use like a bar spoon or even more depending on how much foam you're looking for, you can actually replace an egg white in a cocktail without using egg white. That's
3: amazing. I've, act, I've I've never, to my knowledge, at least, I've I've not had milk punch used in a shaken cocktail. Mm. It's always been kind of like the, the the idea of like having this clear drink, right? Like a stirred. Milk. A lot of people call it milk washing, so
2: they'll yeah, say it's
4: very similar to fat washing. Yeah, I mean it is fat washing.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that. People, people say it's a fat washing process. I disagree because you're not looking for congealed fat as a part of the process, and it's actually more about the protein than it is about the fat. But for simplicity's sake, we can certainly relate it to fat washing. Um, But milk washing, protein protein washing, (laughs) protein washing sounds like something that happens not in a radio studio. (laughs) Um, But but, uh, yeah, Um, uh, using using milk to wash another spirit or another ingredient and you're planning on shaking it, then you don't have to worry about clarity as much because you're looking for as much, you know, you're looking for as much protein as possible. So you'll actually see, I think Booker and Dax does some pretty cool milk wash spirits. Um, I don't generally go for milk, milk wash spirits as a thing because I like the clarity aspect of it. Sure. Um, and that's kind of always my mark for quality is if it's clear, then you did it right. Um, but you'll see on menus, if you see milk wash, it's actually kind of a bastardization of the milk milk uh, punch process. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah.
3: Um, so... What are, some of the, what are some examples of the different like, flavor profiles that you've thrown into your milk punches that have just been like the, oh. the aha moment? I mean, most of our milk
5: punches, they're based around stories or bets, actually, which would normally come from other people in the industry. <laughs> like, I bet you can't make something that's going to taste like this. <laughs> I mean, our two favorites that we've had so far, um, one that we tried to make that was completely Latin American in origin. So we're looking at mango, papaya, and then completely... Um, and then spirits that are completely south of the border so we're looking at Pisco Ancho Reyes Mezcal and um, for the life of me I can't remember the other one now it will probably come back to me in a minute and um, that turned out to be phenomenal but then we're also using peppers in there as well habaneros. and then we looked at a Southeast Asian inspired one as well Um, that was for Bombay so we're looking gin, ginger bourbons Batavia Arax but it's like lemongrass, ginger kaffir lime leaf Thai chili cinnamon, star anise and Whenever you kind of have a background or a story to something, I've always found that everything comes together in such a more harmonious way than it would do otherwise. It's a lot
3: easier to come up with a recipe when you have a name first or an idea first, you know, like, rather than just being like, all right, I got this and this. I got these products I need to move. You know, like, let's see if I can throw them together. Yeah, it's it's much more inspiring to have like that idea. Well, it's what it is. It's inspiration.
5: And and it has a story. But also, we're always pretty safe in the knowledge that when we go through the filtering process, the milk harmonizes all of those ingredients together. It ties everything else. but It ties everything in. It strips all the
2: bad stuff out. And it just gives that beautiful silken mouthfeel that you really don't get with any other drinks.
3: Sure. It's totally
2: true. Um, As far as my process on coming up with new milk punches, um, they often start with, Already established flavor profiles that we know are delicious together,
3: you know. It's like basing them off of like classic cocktails, or we have how done. Do you mean?
2: Yeah, we have done a couple like that. Um, but you know, there are very, very few times when I serve a milk punch to somebody and they don't go, "Wow!" Even if they've had one before, you know what I mean. Um, and it's still in, in the phase right now where people are being introduced to it for the first time almost every time. And if they're not being introduced to it the first time, they're still on their, like, you know, third or fourth one, and they're still a little bit skeptical that it exists. You know what I mean? So as long as we're in that phase where people are a little bit wigged out by the fact that they're drinking something that is full of milk and is full of booze and tea and all the other things that are often brown and not clear, and then we tell them, no, no, it is perfectly clear, I promise... I'm telling you the truth, and they're astounded by it. I try to keep that as the showcase, and let the ingredients just be delicious on their own. And I guess what I mean by is by that is start with something that's familiar because you're already going to blow their mind with the milk. Does that make sense? Yeah, so I get that. I make, I get that. I, to take your previous example, we, we make make margarita milk punch every once in a while, where it's you know blanco tequila and fresh lime, and we we use triple sec and all the ingredients you would you would find in a, in a classic margarita, and then even a little salt. It's delicious and you know, that's that's already delicious. Let's blow their mind by making it clear. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, we made one with beets and goat's milk instead of cow's milk. And we already know that's delicious, so awesome. let's do the clarification and have that blow their mind. You know what I mean? So... it's not hard to make things that are delicious, you know, but making things delicious that people are excited about and can wrap their heads around. And it's, it's not just like a grab bag of, Oh, we'd like to make this spicy. So let's add some chilies, but okay, why are we adding chilies? Are we adding chilies because, you know, that adds to the story and the narrative, like Gareth was saying, or are we adding chilies just because we're messing around? You know what I mean? So I, I believe in keeping it simple and making it perfect and, and have it, have it speak for itself and have the clarification blow people's minds.
3: Yeah. It's, it's cool, but like, it's such a cool like. It's a, like, like, obviously visually stunning, but it's like it's one of these cool tricks, culinary tricks that
4: technique. There are no tricks. Yeah, uh, well, <laughs> tricks are something, like, or just,
3: and, uh, uh, <laughs> But like, you know, where whereas like you know, you can use like a rotovap or a centrifuge right. to like clarify. It's such a cool technique that is just old old school old yeah. school but like it's it, like you're saying it's like really exciting to like bring that back into the fold into the the whole like bar program yeah. and really blow people's minds with it I say this all the time about doing the show I, I love doing the show because I get to learn so much uh, from so many very interesting people and it keeps me it keeps me motivated because I always say you can never know it all when it comes to like when it comes to making drinks or, or like having drinks and to have something like this come back around after hundreds of years, it's just so cool. There's always more to learn. There's always more to play with and it's just really cool. And I'm glad that you guys like I I'm glad that you guys are actually coming to the bar after this because uh I can't wait to try some of these milk punches. Uh I know we all work a lot and I haven't really I haven't been to Forest Point in a while. I, I haven't been to Betting even longer. Um but you guys are bringing it back over to Grand Army tonight. Uh, from five to seven, so I'm really, really psyched to have you guys in there. And man, it's just, it's just a cool, just a cool development, man. <laughs> totally. It's it's been there for a long time, but now it's really there. It's coming back. Yeah. So, well, guys, you know what? Normally we take a break on this show, but it's been such a, a blast talking with you that we just. Through. The, we, we're, now we're at the end of the show That's it? Yeah, yeah. man, it's been wow. 30 minutes Time flew <laughs> I know right, I told you would. <laughs> well okay guys, seriously uh, Check out both of these guys' bars uh, Force Point Bushwick and Putney in Manhattan And come by Grand Army tonight Gareth and Amer are going to be making some uh, some of their milk punches for you And uh, Souther's going to be there too Yeah, I can't wait And uh, yeah, thanks again for coming on the show Thank guys you guys, this is it's blast. been a real blast Thank yeah. you very much Alright, that's it for the speakeasy this week Check out Heritage Radio Network for many more programs like this one. Till then, cheers. Bye, guys. Cheers, guys. Bye.
1: So you don't oh, shun the, devil, oh, with the devil, devil with your rock and roll. Lord knows no. that country music's gonna save
3: Jesus. your soul. The oh, right. devil his groove in that rhythm and blues that sound.
1: It's gonna get you some. Hey, what's up, this is Jack Insley, the executive producer of Heritage Radio Network, also the host of Full Service Radio, and I want to talk to you about brandy. Uh, I was lucky enough to visit Louisville, and we all know Kentucky is whiskey territory. However, the best thing I had to drink was brandy. I got to visit Copper and King's Distillery, and they make pure copper pot distilled American brandy aged in Kentucky bourbon barrels, matured with rock and roll. That's right. Sonic aging. They're playing music to the barrels. The stuff is double distilled, non-chill filtered, unadulterated by bois, sugar, or caramel color. And this stuff is feisty, rambunctious, with a long, smooth finish. The stuff isn't made exactly in the style of an international brandy or a cognac. It's more along the lines of an American whiskey. I can really be honest here and tell you, I'm not just reading you an ad, I'm giving you a tip. American brandy, you're not seeing it everywhere. Copper and Kings is doing it incredibly well and they're cool people. The distillery is full of incredible art. Like I said, they're playing rock and roll to the barrels. So again, Copper and Kings, pure copper pot distilled American brandy aged in Kentucky bourbon barrels. That's copperandkings.com. Drink it neat, put it in a cocktail, sub it for your brown spirits, experiment, have fun, get funky. This stuff is awesome.